0: With some delay, and I apologize because I had some impromptu dental surgery today. Um, But we are back on this Wednesday for the Dome Patrol with my good friend, my colleague, my brother, the one and only Ross Jackson. Ross, I'm so glad we get to do this today. I needed the respite from the pain.
1: Man, I believe it. I love that you're sitting here intro in the pod being like, yeah, you know, I just had some casual oral (laughs) surgery today. But I'm all good. Like, that's, that's, that's love, man. No, I'm glad to be here with you, brother, as always. it's like, I, like we always say, it's the highlights. So I'm looking forward to it, man.
0: Yeah, I can only have a liquid diet for the next two days, but we're going to give folks a steady diet of some football right now. So let's do that. <laughs> um, let's do it. <laughs> I, uh, let's start with – we got to start with the injuries because today the first injury shoot of the week was released, and we had nine Saints that practice. Um, five, Well, not nine that missed, but nine that were either limited or out. Right. Um, the limited guys, Ryan Ramchick, Malcolm Brown. We saw Malcolm Brown hurt his um, um, uh, calf muscle calf, yeah. during the mm-hmm. game on Sunday. Alvin Kamara was limited today, as was Marshawn Lattimore. We saw him get hurt on Sunday as well. Yeah. Um, you still have the, the kind of nagging stuff with Andrews, Pete, and Teron Armstead um, in that regard, but they were full participants today. And then you get mm-hmm. the guys who were out. Both Josh Hill and Trey Smith in the concussion protocols. Cam Jordan dealing with back. But, again, Cam mm-hmm. at this stage, it's like you give him his rest. I don't think it's a major concern right now. Um, And then right. Drew Brees is the, the major one. He's He was at practice today, but, of course, he was a non-participant um, due to mm-hmm. what we have confirmed as five cracked ribs, a punctured lung, and his ongoing issues with his throwing shoulder, which were even more pronounced on Sunday as the game went along. Um, Let's start with the injuries as a whole. That was a real war of attrition with the 49ers. And as good as this has come out with a a win, it's a a tough time to be sustaining all of those injuries.
1: Yeah, and it just seems to be something that continuously happens any time that the Saints end up playing against the 49ers. Remember the same thing or something similar happened last year as well. And then now we're getting into, you know, coming through this injury report and everything that's coming out of this. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where you want to celebrate the fact that the Saints won their sixth straight. They got another double digit victory. They had a good defensive performance. Alvin Kamara scored three touchdowns, but you can't really celebrate it because you got to deal with the fact that Drew Brees is going to be out for multiple weeks. And then you have all these other injuries. Trey Smith took a nasty hit to the helmet that didn't get called. And so he's out with a concussion. I don't think we'll see him this week. I can't imagine. Uh, that we would uh, Josh Hill dealing with a concussion as well, both of them out for practice as well as some of those other players that you mentioned. And even CJ Gardner Johnson, who had a phenomenal game against the 49ers dealt with injury at some point, but he does not have an injury designation early on this week, which is good news. So, I mean, I think that's one of those big things where, yeah, you come up with the victory, but you know, you end up losing several players, whether it be temporarily in the minute, you know, at the end of that game or at least temporarily throughout this this practice week. And then of course, you know, Drew Brees who will miss extended time with his litany of injuries.
0: So let's focus on Drew. Then um, some folks are saying two weeks. I don't think mm-hmm. it's that soon at all. Um, mm-hmm. I, it doesn't matter how much Drew wants to come back. I think that there are two p- factors at play. Number one, he is 41 years old and 41 right. does not heal like 31. And then number two um, it's just, I don't see Sean Payton, if this is all in on this year and looking at the way the NFC is set and the bunch of teams that there are, and we've talked about this every week, is that no one has separated themselves. The Saints are right in the mix uh, until the end, as far as I'm concerned, right at this point still. Mm -hmm. There's no reason. For Sean Payton to rush if the main thing you want is knowing that there's not really going to be a home field advantage for the playoffs knowing that there's not really going to be all these you need Drew Brees ready for week 15 16 so he can get a couple games in and be ready to play in the playoffs it's not a rush to get him back now
1: yeah my my inclination is to say that he'll be back like pure speculation of course but my expectation is that he'll be back week 16 against the Vikings. That's sort of what I'm thinking about. Two to three weeks has been the optimistic timeline, but we have to consider that it's not just about the collapse along re inflating essentially, which takes about one to two weeks to get, to get through that. The, the cracked ribs, the fractured ribs, the only thing that you can do with that is wait. The only option that you have with that is time. And, and to let that happen over time. So he has to let that happen. And then there's the question of effectiveness after that. Uh, what's the status of re-injury? What's the degree of re-injury? What's the, how effective can he be? Is there still soreness? Can he throw the ball? I mean, having cracked ribs on both sides makes it, having cracked ribs on one side makes it incredibly hard to throw a football. But when you talk about torque, when you talk about core, when you talk about the where the power from these passes comes from sometimes, You see a lot of that happening in his midsection, particularly with those dump off passes and things like that. And so we saw, you know, the one pass that sailed on him that he threw to um, Jared Cook up the seam that ended up coming out on the opposite side of him. Those are the types of issues that you'll see if that pain is not resolved and if that discomfort is not resolved He mentioned that it's not really a degree of pain for him. It's just that simply he didn't feel like he could be effective with what his range of motion and what his body was allowing him to do. That's something that can last longer than the actual healing process itself. So that's one of the reasons why I look at maybe the game against Minnesota being the game that he returns to. I personally don't want to see him come back for his first game against the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm okay. I'm good. That's a game that doesn't matter. It's an AFC opponent. It's a non-conference opponent. It's a non-divisional opponent. And again, you have to be the number one seed in order to get a bye week, which I'm sure the Saints would love to have, especially with the way that that injuries are piling up here. But right now you have an injury that you have to be focused on to where if you want to make any kind of a deep run in the playoffs – you're going to want you're going to need Drew Brees at that point. And certainly Sean Payton wants to be able to protect him as much as he can up until that point to where they absolutely have to get him involved. And that's why I look at that sort of being a target as opposed to this kind of wild two-week timeline that some folks are putting on it.
0: And part of it, too, is that Drew is such a, is such a quarterback who needs his fundamentals in place. He needs right. his his form. All of his because of his height, because of his lack of arm strength. All of those mm-hmm. things have to be working in concert. And if one of those yeah. things falls off, and his mechanics are are deviated, and like you said on on that throw to Jared Cook in particular, and even on the fact that he was throwing to the very short spots. Um, and and you know we've always mm-hmm. noticed Drew doing the arm thing uh, for the last few seasons. A lot of that yeah. shaking it loose but he could never get it loose. I mean, it just it wasn't getting loose on Sunday. Right. And, and I think that if you bring him back and his mechanics are not repeatable from down to down, if he starts mm-hmm. forcing and using his body in ways that he's not used to, then I think you just exacerbate the problem. And, and that's not what they're here for. I mean, like we talked, Peyton Manning played eight games the year, that the that last year that the Broncos won the Super Bowl. And the way the Saints defense is coming on and the opponents that they have over the next month I don't see any it just it just makes no sense to me to try to be in a hurry here.
1: Yeah, there's no reason to rush them back. And you have two quarterbacks, whichever one you decide that you're more comfortable with as an organization, the New Orleans Saints, you've got two quarterbacks that can execute this offense. They don't have to go out there and play hero ball. They don't have to go out there and push the ball down the field. They can go out there and run the exact same offense or some semblance of the offense that you already know works and one that minimizes mistakes. And if you can focus on minimizing mistakes, that's not just, you know, it's not that easy. But if you can get them to that place to where they're just focused on not making mistakes and they can manage the game sort of like what Teddy did, and being those game managers, that you can still put yourself in positions because of the way that this defense has come on, because of the way that special teams has been such a decision uh, or such a difference maker for you so far this season. You could put this team in a situation to where without Drew Brees, they can still carry themselves into the playoffs and then worry about getting Drew Brees either just a couple of games before that or at that point and then you can get back to what you're accustomed to seeing from this team. I do think that you're going to see more deep shots that are going to be taken. The deep shots are already there. They're built into the offense Mm -hmm. already. Brees just doesn't, you know, there's a timing that has to be absolutely precise in order for him to be willing to take those shots. And if that timing's not there, then he's moving on to his next read or he's moving on to his dump off. And so I think that maybe with Jameis Winston being somebody that on average holds the ball about two tenths of a second longer than drew Brees. that doesn't sound like a lot but if you break it down by a per throw uh you you break it down per throw then you end up with some of those passes where he does hold onto the ball much longer than others i think that maybe you start to see some of those those opportunities those shots get taken down the field but i still think that the core assignment on this offense is going to be to distribute all across the all across the playmakers that they have available to them
0: Uh, The thing about Jameis' release time, too, of his career is he's been asked to throw a lot of deeper developing routes. Um, And with the line that he had in Tampa that we still see is not a great offensive line, um, when you're asked to throw those deep routes, you got to hold the ball a little bit longer. So Jameis... Is slower than Breeze, and we know that, and most people are slower than Breeze, but his times last year were still faster than Teddy's times. And, again, throughout his career, he's been asked to throw those deeper routes, which do extend that. I think if Jameis has Mm -hmm. the options, again, with Alvin Kamara, with the tight ends, with the receivers who can go both underneath and deep, he has more options in his routes than I think that he's had before in Tampa, and I don't expect that release time to to be as – there will be lags. I mean, that's just going to be right. he's going to be looking. He's going to do what he does. You're still trying to break some habits. He's going to look for that big play at times. And part of that is going to be corralling that natural sense to look for the big play. But I I think that there's room for improvement for him and and he's capable of doing it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he has... Not only is he capable of doing it, but he's he wants to do that, right? That was the whole point of him coming to New Orleans was the idea of attending the Harvard quarterbacking school, right, Harvard School for Quarterbacks. That's what he's wanted to do. And so I think you're right. There are ways that you end up molding him out of those habits by designing plays specifically to go to Alvin Kamara, which is something that they do, they use him as the primary receiver on angle routes, on Texas routes out the backfield, on wheel routes uh, You know, with lining him up in the slot and out wide they've utilized him in that way you can do the same thing with Latavius Murray or anybody else that you put in the backfield back there even the things that Michael Burton can bring to you as a dump off option, so I think that that's some of what Sean Payton is going to probably do, I, th- I would imagine, and I would venture to say early on in this game is utilize those early sort of designed routes that keep you close to a line of scrimmage as a means of getting him comfortable first, much like what we saw in his first few passes against the 49ers. Let's not forget that he completed his first six passes, including a beautiful touch pass to Alvin Kamara on a wheel route to the to the left side. And so I think that you'll see just as much of that. And then it was the four incomplete passes that came after he got sacked twice that those started to get off you know off target and he started to rush his throws and things of like that once he realized ah pressure is coming. So I think that if you can get the ball out of his hands quickly and design the offense around that opportunity to where yes he hasn't thrown to running backs very much throughout his entire career but if it's a part of the system it's a very different conversation it's not just that he's going to willingly say nah coach I'm not going to do that it's simply that if you design the plays for him to do it then he will do it
0: and I know that there are folks who think that that Taysom has a legitimate chance and Peyton has a name to starter but I, I can't see a world where Sean Payton gives Taysom Hill the start in any of these games
1: Yeah. I I think like you, if you look at it from a very fundamentally technical definition, there is a world in which I could see the saints march out there and Taysom Hill is the first quarterback to take a snap and therefore the starter. And that could be Sean Payton's way of introducing a wrinkle immediately Mm -hmm. in this game, because everybody expects it to be Jameis Winston out there, but then you'd still see Jameis Winston get the bulk of the snaps and being the quarterback for that day, if that makes sense. Um, The biggest conversation is going to be how is Taysom Hill used outside of the quarterback position if Jameis Winston is, as we expect, the guy that's going to get the bulk of the snaps? Does he – does his – his, his presence dwindle like it did uh, during Teddy Bridgewater's tenure. He went from 15 and 21 total snaps on offense the first two games of that season to 4, 6, 15, 11, and 13 over those five games we are returning back to that 15 through 21 type stature or, or, or count throughout the rest of the season. Do we see that diminish because they need to keep Taysom Hill healthy in case they need the backups backup at that point or because of some of these injuries that we've talked about already too Traquan Smith, uh, Josh Hill these guys that play big roles in the run game, could that actually end up sending uh, Taysom Hill into a little bit more of a role in the offense? There's also the argument that you want to surround James Winston with as many possible weapons as you can, and Taysom Hill is certainly one of those weapons. They have other options at the blocking tight end. They could elevate. Garrett Griffin again, uh, Jawan Johnson, Marquez Calloway, those guys can essentially serve the role as the blocking wide receiver if they want that in the run game. So there's still some options there if they decide that they want to keep Taysom Hill sort of corralled a bit so they can keep him healthy in case they need him in an emergency situation.
0: And the one thing with both of them that they've got to work on this week is their ball security. I mean, we've seen Taysom mm-hmm. either fumble or almost fumble in a number of games this season. Jameis had some instances where he either – fumbled or almost threw some picks um, mm-hmm. on Sunday as well. A couple of questionable throws. Again, you kind of excuse those because he, he hadn't played. He didn't get the reps. But at the same time, during this, this stretch, the Saints cannot afford to turn over the ball because they don't have the security of knowing that Drew Brees can put together a two-minute drive and give you six. You, you don't know what these guys are going to give you yet. And so, yeah, the, the turnover issue becomes huge now for the Saints.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen Taysom Hill fumbled four times now so far this season. He's lost two. thats unusual for him uh, in terms of what we've seen from him over the first two seasons, the first three seasons, or I guess I'll say the first two seasons that he was really involved in the offense. Um, Jameis threw that very turnover-worthy pass to Jimmy uh, to Jimmy uh, Ward, who dropped that, who ended up dropping it, and you know he got away kind of scot-free there. But that was a dangerous throw when he had actually Emmanuel Sanders wide open in the flat to his left and just not looking in that direction there. But again, that was a play that Michael Thomas is probably the first read while Emmanuel Sanders was the dump off or the checkdown option as opposed to those short routes being the primary read which he'll you know be able to find if you can design those plays for him. So I think that that's something that absolutely that they have to make sure that they do clean up. I think that this team looks very different no matter what mm-hmm. with either one of these guys there and that could mean for better or for worse, right? Because you have an Air Yards quarterback And Jameis Winston, somebody that has averaged at least 10 intended air yards over the last, you know, since 2016, every season. And then Drew Brees, who's only averaged over seven once since 2016. And that was in 2016. Other years since then, he's been, you know, at or at least very near the very bottom of the NFL. Now, we know that air yards don't translate into wins, obviously, as Drew Brees and the Saints had the most most wins from 2017 to 2019. But – it is something that makes the defense look different. It is something that has an effect and it could mean bigger shots and bigger opportunities, but it could also mean turnovers. And I think that that high variance is something that analytically you're willing to deal with because the big plays that score touchdowns score you points, the interceptions are maybe points right, right. at the, at the, you know, with the exception on of where they six. happen on the field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so analytically you'll take the high variance especially when you have a defense that's performing, but if that defense isn't performing because they're going to be going up against talented wide receivers and a talented offense in Atlanta, an offense that has been at the top or near the top of EPA per play since Raheem Morris took over as the interim head coach, surprise, surprise, Dan Quinn was indeed the issue there. Uh, We're all so shocked, I know, Uh, but that's something to consider, right? Like if that defense isn't performing, then obviously you want to keep the ball in the offense's hands. So we have to see which of these defenses shows up. Have they turned a corner? at this point with two very good performances over the last two weeks, or are we going to see a little bit of an up and down type of situation? Generally with Dennis Allen, we see them turn a corner. Hopefully that's what we've seen so far this season, but obviously that plays a big factor into how much risk you're willing to take and just how much of the range you're willing to hand over to either one of these quarterbacks.
0: And a big part of that is going to be the play of the line. And we've seen again, Teron Armstead, we've seen Ryan Ramchick, we've seen, um, uh, Andrews Pete. And then Caesar Ruiz has had a hard time adjusting to the NFL. This has not been easy for him. There, he's been blown mm-hmm. by. He's had some very bad missed assignments. It's, it's, the line has been surprisingly not as good as we thought it would be this season.
1: Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And, you know, it's unfortunate for Cesar Ruiz because it's a byproduct of something he doesn't have any control over. You know what I mean? It was an abbreviated offseason of which he missed half of it. Half of the time that he was available, he was learning the center position. And and now he's having to play at the right guard position. So not only is he playing outside of a position that he never played, he's also playing outside of one that he hardly practiced to play. And now he's having to learn on the fly, which is incredibly hard, especially when you have a run like the run that he's in the midst of right now where he's going up against very talented interior defensive linemen, with another one in Grady Jarrett on the way up against the Atlanta Falcons. So it's not the most advantageous situation for him to be in, but at the same time, you expect to see – the coaching helped make up for that, or you expect to see, you know, him turn that corner eventually. And so the question is, is he going to be able to do that? Or have we seen the extent of what Cesar Ruiz is going to be for his rookie year? And if that's the case, is it better to just lean over to or swap over to Nick Easton? The issue with that is that you just had Andrews Pete undergo an injury last week. He was at practice and fine, no injury designation, but still, it's something you have to be aware of. So do you, can you afford to have Nick Easton there and then know that Andrew Speed could get hurt? Then you have to move Nick Easton to a new position and then plug Cesar Ruiz in where he was already struggling. And then does that create more issues for you because you're making Cesar Ruiz, excuse me, Nick Easton play multiple positions in the same game? So there's so many different questions to ask about how it is that you can increase the longevity of that offensive line based upon their depth, which has been very good, but you have to be careful about what you're asking these guys to do in one game.
0: And part of that is going to be reestablishing the run, which they weren't really able to do against San Francisco. And you're going to have to do that for Jameis and take that pressure off of him early. Um, I'm not saying they're going to run the ball 40 times, but They've got to get more production out of the run game this this week. And we just didn't – It, it can, let me just get your interpretation as of why it really in the second half when you knew Breeze wasn't going to be out there, it still really could not get going. I guess the San Francisco defense that is still strong, but it's not the defense of last year.
1: Yeah, I think that there there comes – there's a couple of different things, right? Like the defense got to play an entirely different game up against Jameis Winston than they had to play against Drew Brees. They were able to keep more players in the box. Yeah. They were able to do a few other things that they weren't able to do against Drew because of what he would usually be doing, which is spread the ball out. That didn't end up being the case for this game. And then you put in Jameis Winston, and you just know that the, the, the playbook's going to be – for the majority, for the most part, conservative for that point. So you can play towards that and know that, hey, they're going to lean on the running back. So there's certain things just in terms of what that game plan ended up having to be in order to get through that second half uh, that I think factor into that. But we've also seen them not be able to run the ball in the second half in other situations as well. And, of course, when you're already ahead by two scores, the defense knows that you want to run the ball and that you want to, you want to do that. So they're going to play up against the line and they're going to play against that. So I think that that factors in, but I do think that this is a game against Atlanta where you have Alvin Kamara, you have Latavius Murray, and I could see them combining for 25 to 30 touches in this game. Like the, 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 uh, the opportunity is available to them up against this defense to be able to do that. And that's a place where Cesar Ruiz has actually played pretty well, which is in the run game because the Saints like to run that zone block, you know, get that read step in and then engage and climb to the next level. Those are the things that he's good at. He's good at being mobile. He's good at being a part of that type of a scheme. So I think you can see them find success there. And I think that you'll see them lean into the success there the same way that they did that, you know, with, Teddy Bridgewater under, under center for them last year. And so I do think that that becomes a part of it. We, you know, a lot of Saints fans talked about how the run game was all of a sudden present with Teddy there. And I remember last year there were accusations that Drew Brees changes the play at the line of scrimmage to get away <laughs> from the run and things like that. Like that's how drastic it looked to have a little bit more of a run game presence. And obviously that's not the case at all. But there's just things that this offense are going to be more comfortable doing with Drew Brees under center than they will be with an unknown commodity, truly, with Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill under center, much like you had an unknown commodity with Teddy Bridgewater coming off of his injury and and, and lack of playing time over the course of those many years before he had joined New Orleans. So I think those are all things to to keep in mind and and consider in terms of how you might see the run game end up capitalizing a bit this week because it's going to be something they're going to want to rely on. Otherwise, they're leaning into something that's entirely unfamiliar.
0: What does this mean for Mike Thomas, who in the two games back has not – played up to what he thinks you know what we all think his standard is for a number of reasons it's not just on Mike Thomas right. I'm not gonna you know don't anybody get it twisted but it certainly has been a, a tough adjustment the last two games and now you go into this third game he's at some point we we have to find out if he's back or not
1: yeah you know what it reminds me of honestly it reminds me of the Jerry Cook situation last year where Jerry Cook missed some time And then when he finally came back, he got like a game and a half in, a game and two drives in with Drew Brees. Then Drew Brees got hurt. And then Jerry Cook had to build chemistry with Teddy Bridgewater – and then, unfortunately, when Teddy Bridgewater was coming out, Drew Brees was coming back in, Jared Cook was hurt. And then it wasn't until, you know, weeks 10 through mm-hmm. 17 that they really got into the- I could see something similar to that happening now with Michael Thomas. Where Michael Thomas may have been in the process of getting in rhythm, which I think is a fair thing to say over these last two games. But now he's going to have to get into rhythm with a new quarterback, and then eventually that quarterback will change back to Drew Brees. So we may see, you know, a uh, uh, Michael Thomas that is a bit unfamiliar for the next couple of games as he gets used to James Jameis Winston, because there's a lot of things that are different about Jameis. He holds the ball longer. He throws the ball later because he can laser it in at a velocity that Drew Brees can't. There is even that own that whole thing about just the ball velocity and what you have to do to catch his passes versus uh, versus uh, Drew Brees' passes. There's a timing and understanding and seeing the same thing on the field at the mm-hmm. same time. Like All of those different pieces that are intricate that all happen during the play, not pre or post, Those are all going to be things that you're going to, that we'll have to sort of see how Michael Thomas fits in with that. The other thing is that maybe Michael Thomas opens up a little bit vertically to where all of a sudden those 12-yard breaks turn into 16-yard breaks on post routes or over routes and out routes and things like that. So that would be something else to keep an eye out on because maybe it does open up his game a little bit more. But I imagine that just like we've seen the adjustment period for him over the last two weeks and coming back after injury, that we may have to see a little bit of an adjustment period. It may be, it may be a drive, it may be a half, it may be a game, maybe a couple of games and just in terms of him adjusting to what he now has at quarterback with – I'll just continue to say Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. I think we agree that it's probably Jameis Winston, but we should keep both. I'll do my best to keep both options open. But I think is there's the possibility you see both of them throw passes over these next few games, regardless of who carries the bulk of it.
0: it we just won't see. You won't see Taysom throw thirty balls, though. No, and that won't I happen. Think so. I don't even think if so. you add up the next four games, you won't see Taysom attempt thirty passes. It's just right. It's just not going to be. He will get snaps. I have no doubt in that, but I think it will. They have to reduce it because you don't have a third quarterback Mm -hmm. here. And this is a league that right now you're watching quarterbacks go down. You're watching players go down. And and the Saints certainly are not immune to that. And you're in the midst of a a playoff run. Uh, You look at the schedule, like we said, home against Atlanta. Then you're at Denver, at Atlanta, at Philly over the next four weeks. Those are are four winnable games. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And in any of those games, you're also not facing, outside of Atlanta, you're not facing a team that can really put up a ton of points either. Denver's not going to scare you with their offense, and Philly's certainly not going to scare you with their offense. So the Saints are in a position where you give – if the defense can stay relatively in the zone that that they're in, and, yes, we have to give all the caveats for San Francisco that you give Mm -hmm. about quarterback and who's out and all those things, yeah, yeah. But still, if the Saints can score 23 – Right. You'd have to feel comfortable that they go at least three and one in that group. If they average 23 over those four games, three and one seems reasonable.
1: Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. You know, the, the number that I used to set for the saints was you know, around 27 or so in terms of like, if the defense can, can allow less than that, then they, they have a good position and a good opportunity to win. I'd probably drop that to 20 now, just based upon what that defense has done so far this season. And I think that that is, that's a huge part of what you need to see over these next couple of games, just like we saw with Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy didn't get those wins by himself, right? He just didn't lose the game, maybe with the exception of that Tampa Bay game where he had just an incredible game for, you know, at, to, to his standard up against Tampa Bay and that defense. But I think when you look at the way that this defense is performing, really what you need is for Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, the Saints offense to not lose the game. Because the defense will, looks like right now, give you what it needs to give you. Again, they're still going up against a very talented Atlanta Falcons offense. An offensive line that's improving. Uh, communication between receiver and, uh, and, and quarterback that's improving. Uh, game plan and, and play calling that's improving. Raheem Morris has improved this team uh, or or you can simply say that the absence of Dan Quinn has improved this team whichever way you want to look at it but I, I do think that those are all that's all part of the consideration in terms of what the Saints will need to do on the offensive side because they still need to put up points those mm-hmm. need to put up points like they still need to score and so I think that if you can get to the 23 to 27 area in terms of scoring and then allow less than 20 points then obviously I think that that's sort of the the place where you can find a happy medium between the two. I don't think that the Saints are going to come out here and they're going to have another 35 point win or another 14 point win for the next couple of weeks. But certainly I could see them, you know, squeaking out a couple of, you know, one score games, six points, three points, things like that. It's like they did in the beginning of the season. Saw that stretch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I could totally I could definitely see that. And we have to remember too that Drew Locke, the other Drew in the NFL, uh, also dealing with a rib injury himself. And so they may be down to, I guess, a Jeff Driscoll who's their backup in Denver. Um, so, you know, their signal caller might be down or, or it's Drew Locke coming back for his first game and give you a little bit of a preview of what it might look like if you rush Drew back too quickly coming off of cracked ribs. And so I think that that's another thing that works in their advantage is that they'll open up their road trip up against potentially a second string quarterback. And then you would open up that second part of it with the another familiar opponent going to uh, Atlanta and then you have a pretty what looks like at this point pretty winnable matchup up against the Philadelphia Eagles that are i guess first place in their division but
0: at 3-5 and 1 uh, at 3-5 yeah. and
1: 1 <laughs> you know what i like, mean like are they really though <laughs>
0: yeah like that's that's whoever doesn't like you you you're just going to ass stumble back into the NF- NFC East Nobody's going to win it. Right. Nobody's going to win. It's just like who didn't no. lose it.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Who lost one less game?
0: <laughs> and, and then when I look at this uh, uh, um, defensively, and we talk about quietly the Saints have, are the, in scoring where we, where we started from the season where they were giving up so many points per game. Now they've allowed the third most, only the third most points. I mean, uh, third fewest points, excuse me, in the NFC. Mm-hmm. They've improved That's so much. Yeah. And they've eliminated the penalties, and you've seen the aggression right. step up. Demario Davis, CJ Gardner Johnson, who we talk about every week, but again was a tone setter on Sunday. Um, they were just mm-hmm. a more physical defensive team than they had been. And you're seeing it pick up week to week over these last three.
1: Yeah. And that all comes down to execution, comfort, and confidence, right? You can be more aggressive if you're doing exactly what you know you're supposed to be doing, right? If you're stuck and you're hesitating or you're asking questions or anything like that, it's because you don't have the ability to execute or it limits your ability to execute. So once everything sort of started to click and clear up in terms of how this defense should work together, where their eyes should be, where they should be paying attention, what their assignment is, once they got confident in that, you can see them now being a lot more aggressive. Quan Alexander you know, came in for New Orleans and played really a hell of a game. His first game, he wasn't phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. He had ups and downs. He had good moments, bad moments, missed tackles, good coverage plays, bad coverage plays, did a little bit of everything. But You saw the you saw a difference just in terms of responsibility for Mm -hmm. Quan Alexander as opposed to Alex Anzalone. You saw Quan Alexander getting in the backfield, making big plays in the run game. Just that ability to read, react, read and react so quickly, and just make his Mm -hmm. mind up and say that's where I'm going. You saw that from C.J. Garner Johnson, David Onyema, and Demario Davis as well. Those were all things that those four guys did very, very well in this game. That all comes from confidence and just edification in terms of this is what I'm supposed to be doing at this moment on this field, and here's how it affects everybody else. And I think that when you see – I think you'll see Quan Alexander start to take on more responsibilities, be more present as a blitzer, play closer to the line of scrimmage as well as his opportunities and coverage, which is just going to take some responsibilities away from Demario Davis and allow Demario Davis to continue to be playing close to the line of scrimmage and doing what it was that he excelled in against San Francisco this past week, which is what we've been waiting to see from him so far this season. But because he's had so many responsibilities Responsibility so far this season, he hasn't been able to make those plays. And now you're starting to see sort of the ripple effect or the domino effect of what happens when one thing goes right and how it affects the rest of the defense. You saw the same thing with secondary and coverage as well as pass rush at multiple times throughout these last two weeks as well.
0: And you see the interaction between the defensive players yeah. has changed as well. There is much more talking going on on the field during and after plays not only to themselves but to the other team Mm -hmm. it they have they seem to have found that swagger that they've played with um that edge that they played with last season when we and that's why Mm -hmm. we were so confident coming into this year that the saints were a potential top five defense well now they're putting themselves right in that position again and the run defense has continued to maintain itself, particularly against a San Francisco team that you knew their primary objective was to get first downs on the ground. And the saints snuffed that out really, really quickly.
1: Yeah. They allowed only two yards per carry on 25 carries in that game. They played an outstanding game against the run football outsiders did a great breakdown of them and what they've done so far through 10 weeks here in 2020 has put them in the top 10 since 1999 and run defense DVOA. And in certain metrics, as you continue to adjust them, they're one of four teams to make that list since I think it's the early 2000s. So, I mean, those are different defenses we're talking about. Like we're talking about the 2000 Ravens that are in that conversation. You know what I mean? And the 2016, even Ravens defense, that was really good as well. And so, you know, you look at this run defense and it is more than just the fact that the Saints force you to throw the ball they force you to throw the ball because they completely eliminate the run game. Now losing cam Jordan, if cam Jordan can't go this week would be a big part of that. You know, cam Jordan tends to have really good games up against the Atlanta Falcons. So too does Jameis Winston, by the way, 25 touchdowns and nine interceptions uh, in his career. And I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But when you talk about, you know, um, cam Jordan and the way that he's played up against the Atlanta Falcons, I think that it is a little bit of precaution, for him, I mean, you know, he had the adductor surgery over the offseason. He spent time sort of getting in rhythm and everything early on this year, and he's still working on that. But he played a nice game last week. And I think that, you know, if you see him back on the field, he's a huge part of what that run defense is and, it, and essentially what the identity of the defense is as well. And So even just to that effect, he's, he's incredibly important to this team. And I think that establishing that you cannot run the ball Against that team is another huge part of their identity because they'll force you to be one dimensional that, you know, the Falcons have been made one dimensional several times this season. You've seen how it affects them. They can put points on the board, but they have a lot of trouble hanging in games because they can't hold on to the ball. Mm-hmm. You know you have to complete a pass down the field you know they get forced into third and long situations consistently and that makes that third down it makes those third downs hard to convert and the saints have been very good so far in third down defense so far this season and they've been improving over the last few weeks in red zone defense which is one of the reasons why you saw the yardage count along with the penalties the yardage count so low in terms of what the saints defense was allowing but the points so high because of how often they were giving up scores in the red zone now you start to see a little bit more of the complementary side of both of those statistics working against one another in their frame of the game or the element of the game on defense for them.
0: And I think also them setting a tone week to week, and this is going on what, how many games now we're over, we're over 50 games now, right. Of not allowing a hundred This is the longest streak of the NFL.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. If you include the, uh, if you include the playoffs. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. So I think what it does for the saints is it sets a physical tone for this team each and every week that, you know, Hey, to stop the run, it's a hitting, that is a hitting process. That is a discipline mm-hmm. process. And I think that that mentally brings them in together when even in the past coverage has been suspect. Knowing that you're still solid in this area, it always gives you something to fall back on confidence-wise. And that, hey, we take, yeah. as long as we take this away, we'll figure out the rest of it. We'll recover. We have the guys in the back who will figure this out. But we know they can't do this against us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point. I think there's the mental aspect of it too. Remember that as a defensive lineman in the run game, the offensive line is coming right to you. They're coming mm-hmm. right at you. They're getting the first step. They know the snap count. They have the advantage. They're barreling to you, particularly if it's a man blocking scheme. If you're winning those matchups, those pass sets where they're snapping the ball and they're immediately retreating and trying to figure out their hand placement and trying to scout exactly what your first move is going to be, you have a little bit more confidence in those pass rushing sets because if they can't stop me when they're coming at me, then they're not stopping me when I'm going at them. And so it does create a little bit of a mental side and a mental advantage for it, especially defensive linemen as well, and even linebackers who are just who are winning because they're simply being fundamental right? They're succeeding fundamentally. It's not about them making some uber athletic play or, or beating somebody. It's that I filled my gap and that, that led me to make this play. Same thing. Same thing. If I just follow my assignments, and again, it's the edification, right? It's the confidence that comes with that. If I do exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, because game plan has not been an issue over on the defensive side. <laughs> I'm sorry, it has not been an issue over on the defensive side, not as much. There have been some issues, yes, but there are with every team in every game. But for the most part, it's been execution issues, particularly when you talk about the big plays uh, in the passing game. It's been execution issues. And so as long as you're executing and you have the confidence that you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing, you don't make those same mental mistakes. That's where the Saints defense has been these last couple of games. They'll need it again this week, but they have the advantage of this being a familiar opponent again as well.
0: Part of that familiarity, too, is Calvin Ridley's coming back. He's going to be healthy for this game, most likely. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had been phenomenal this season before he got injured. Um, We know what they have offensively. Uh, We know Matt Ryan can put up points. This this one is the challenge because like you're coming off of the two offenses that they've faced the last couple of weeks and they've gotten to play some rookie quarterbacks. They've gotten to play some, uh, you know, some easier teams maybe in, in this last week. this is going to be a test not only because of the rivalry, but because Atlanta has so many different ways to put pressure on, even at the tight end position, they're able to put a lot of pressure yeah. on a, a defense right now.
1: Yeah. It's, it's kind of a blend of, of, of the best things about both of the, the last two teams that they faced. It's a healthy team that has playmakers at every one of those positions, whether it be tight end, running back, wide receiver, quarterback. That was sort of what they faced against Tampa Buccaneers, but didn't have, but Tampa Buccaneers didn't have the offensive scheme ready to go. San Francisco had the offensive scheme ready to go. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's scheme during that game was built to confuse, but again, the saints defense didn't fall for it and they ended up doing it. So you're going to need both of those things. You're going to need the individual talent to win on that defense. And you're going to need the team play that was necessary to keep everybody in check and keep everybody keen in on their assignments and doing the right thing and executing like you did against San Francisco. You're going to need both of those things going into this game up against Atlanta.
0: On the defensive side of the ball, the Saints – we talked about the pass rush a bit, but Mm -hmm. that's – Atlanta's where they're strong. They're not a great run defense team, but they do have a good – they're a lighter defensive line, another one of those that the Saints are going up against. Mm -hmm. But they can cause confusion with the way that they utilize these defensive linemen. Raheem Morris is very good at utilizing – Oh, yeah. uh, And and changing up the looks for a defensive front. Um, That, again, with the offensive line issues and a new quarterback um, under center – those are a lot of things that the Saints have to adjust for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that you have to look at too is that San Francisco, excuse me, uh, Atlanta, particularly over the last few games since Raheem Morris has taken over, has become a blitzing team, particularly with those linebackers from the <laughs> second level. Um, you know, you look at your you you look at those linebackers that are back there. They have some very extremely athletic and fast linebackers that can be you know that could wreak havoc in the pass game for you. That could wreak havoc as pass rushers if they're able to to scheme them and 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 utilize stunts by the defensive linemen to open up lanes for them to be able to attack in the interior. Those are all things to keep an eye out on. So the Saints do have a little bit of a disadvantage there. I'm not going to say that that's going to be you know this something that they can't overcome, but they do come in with a little bit of a disadvantage there because they've got two young offensive linemen. They've got three offensive linemen dealing with injuries. You have a rookie offensive lineman that's a part of that young interior that we're talking about. And you have a quarterback that needs to be able to make those reads beforehand and be able to communicate with the offensive line. So I think all of that needs to be tight. All of that needs to be ready to go. and. uh they have to simplify that as much as possible or just get Jameis Winston up to speed on it. Eric McCoy is going to be able to help out with all of that, with blitz identification and everything. He's been a part of the offense long enough now going into his second year. He's been incredibly smart. He's made a lot of those checks. He's done a lot of that very well, but, you know, you're going to need Jameis Winston to know here's where the pressure is coming from and here's how we adjust for it, right? We, in terms of how they adjust for it um, with that with that specific offensive line versus what he's accustomed to, right? What do those packages look like? What do those protection packages look like for the Saints? All of that edification is going to have to be there and he's going to have to be able to take advantage of that and be comfortable in that in terms of commanding that offense and making those checks, making those correctly and being able to adjust to them properly, whether that means getting rid of the ball quickly or, you know, y- utilizing, you know, the wide receiver receivers and being able to communicate with the wide receivers mid play who are dropping into spots where they're open, you know, where there are open spots and zones because they're blitzing things like that.
0: Going back to that San Francisco game for just real quick, the saints weren't particularly clean even before breeze got hurt. Right. The execution, you know, they fell behind early, um, made some mistakes, uh, and and really weren't moving the ball particularly well. Um, Mm -hmm. There just wasn't much going on. We talked about the letdown from the week before, but it seemed like it really wasn't a letdown. It was just, um, it just wasn't the word we keep using over and over again, execution. Mm -hmm. What caused that slow start for them? Was it something schematically that you saw in, in reviewing the game? Or was it just guys just not making plays?
1: I mean, a lot of it just came down to that offense not being able to operate with your reason, his condition. I, I don't want to put the whole thing on him, that, and that's not what I'm trying to do. But certainly, you know, things were a little bit off. As we mentioned, some of those throws were off. Some of the the targets were were odd. He was already out of routine, working out off to the side before the game started. So you could see that he was in a little bit of a battle of himself uh, throughout all that. And then, of course, that interior pressure that got in with Contavious Street kind of finished the you know finished the conversation for him before he – as he was coming back out from uh, for the second half. So I think there was a little bit of that. It was also just a very aggressive uh, San Francisco front that did a very good job creating issues for the Saints offensive line and for Drew Brees and even in the run game as well. And so, you know, there's a reason that Alvin Kamara scored all three touchdowns because he was the guy that was able to take advantage of it in, in the red zone. And so, you know, you saw the Saints defense start off. They allowed, what was it, six of seven passes by Nick Mullins, three of three on third down and a red zone touchdown to open up and you kind of thought like, oh, here we go. Uh, but then they buttoned up. They buttoned up right after that and actually forced the three and out. But Deontay Harris had the fumble on the kick return that extended that drive. And the Saints did a good job making a stop in the red zone and forcing a field goal there. That was at 14 minutes and 56 seconds left in the second quarter after that. San Francisco didn't score again until near the end of the fourth quarter. And then the saints also made a big stop just ahead of the two minute warning with an interception by Patrick Robinson. So I think when you look at the saints offense early, it was an offense that couldn't get on rhythm. It was very akin to, I don't know about you, but it felt really familiar to what we saw from Drew Brees in this offense very early in the season where things. just didn't feel like timing was right. Just Mm -hmm. didn't feel like spacing was there. So there were a couple of other things that were, that were a factor into that, but I do think that, you know, there there was something to be said about Drew Brees' ability to play and and sort of uh, efficacy while he was on the field, and what that was going to be with him, you know, with him there. I think that they, that caused some of the struggles as well. Again, not to put the entire blame on him, it was everybody affected by different things, but I think that that was something that stood out to me.
0: And I, I don't think it's blame either. I mean, it, you know, if you're injured and you're limited, these things happen, right. and 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 you just deal with it. I don't think. Yeah, it's not like he was playing poorly in respect of bad decision-making or things like that. It was just, it just wasn't Mm -hmm. working. Um, And he just physically wasn't able to do what he wanted to do. But that also brings up now is like, you see the national media already saying, well, Alvin Kamara has got to do more. He can't do more. He's second in the NFL (laughs) in in catches. He's up there, you know, he's, he can't do more than what he's doing. It's just going to be the how he does what he does um, and how he's utilized is going to be the question.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, our, our plan from the very beginning of the season still stands. I think you, you, you utilize Latavius Murray or early, uh, excuse me, Latavius Murray early on in drives, early on in downs, and then you get Alvin Kamara involved within the 20s, you know, in, in the red zone. And once you get to the opposite side of the field, and that's where he's been most productive, he's had 11 touchdowns in the season right now. Only a couple behind Dalvin Cook, who I believe has 13. He's at the top of the NFL right now in scrimmage yards and uh, all-purpose yards. And like you mentioned, he's second in the NFL with 67 catches so far this season. He's in the midst of a bunch of wide receivers in that he's tied with uh, – is it DeAndre Hopkins I believe he's tied mm-hmm. with? He's tied with another wide receiver up there. Um, it's nuts. it's nuts what we've seen from him so far, and I can't imagine how it is that you ask him to do more. I think we have to ask him to continue doing what he's doing, for sure, um, and, and being somebody that they can rely on and they can utilize in scoring situations, certainly. But it, it's got to be, I think, personally, I think the thing that's more effective is spread the ball around. We saw how effective that was against Tampa Bay. Twelve receivers caught passes in that game, and you saw several players run the ball in that game as well, which we don't talk about enough. So I think that spreading the ball around and getting those touches all around the offense is a far more advantageous way to undergo this game. And yes, you do lean on the run game, but it's not just Alvin Kamara. It's Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray looked like he was averaging 10 yards per carry last week against San Francisco just because he refuses to fall down the guy. And so it's just one of those things where like Latavius Murray, you can kind of knock him off balance pretty easily, but he'll fall forward. he'll stumble for another six yards and so I think you utilize that you utilize the, the the sort of hot and cold that you can run with uh with uh Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara and I think that that becomes a big part of this offense but also spreading the ball around and getting these other receivers involved which isn't out of the ordinary it's not I mean you look at Jameis Winston and the communication that he already has with some of these other guys in terms of time on task in practice with Deontay Harris, with Marquez Calloway, Traquan Smith, if he's healthy and good to go, Adam Troutman. I think you can see him take advantage of that and feel more comfortable with some of these not at the top of the roster guys or top of the depth chart guys. I think that opens up more opportunities for him to spread the ball around. They just have to be able to take advantage of it.
0: And I think people will f- forget who Sean Payton is if they think right. that what he's going to do is go f- and just put the focus on one guy. He, will, he, he never does that. That no, is not like his that, way.
1: Yeah, it was like the conversation that we were having early on in the season where everybody was asking who's going to be wide receiver three. And we're like, when? <laughs> you know, the answer is yes. Everyone will be wide receiver three at some point. And I think, too, that because you have an expectation of Jameis Winston coming in and relying on the starters in Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, that just gives Sean Payton all the more flexibility to work other guys into the game plan And, yes, they are going to be relied upon, particularly in things that are closer to the line of scrimmage. Emmanuel Sanders is somebody that we could see also get a little bit of benefit in terms of his uh, deep route ability, his deep uh, deep pass ability and deep receiver ability. So we could see a little bit of that as well. But I do think that the Saints spread the ball out, and I think that's the more uh, successful product for them going up into this game.
0: And you don't have any tendencies – For Jameis, you have no tendencies for Jameis, the Saints quarterback. So Sean Payton, as we talked about before, he loves to capitalize on that. Set up Mm -hmm. something in the first quarter that he may not use to the third. He may set up things in this game that he won't use until the Philly game. All those things are possible. So, yeah, you can't – defenses are at a disadvantage because they can't go look at Jameis' Tampa tape. Nope. And you can't look at Drew Brees' New Orleans tape. I right. think that's what you're going to get out of Jameis Winston, because at least with Teddy, you could say there's some similarities here, the way that that things yeah. go, Teddy's not a big chance taker. He's not going to be that. He doesn't have the biggest arm. Jameis is just different. So you, there's no thing that the defenses can come in and rely on. The only thing they know for certain is we got to watch Mike Thomas. We got to watch Alvin Kamara, but you have no idea how they're going to get used over the next few games.
1: Yeah, and you can't bank on, as much as we saw Jameis Winston throw 30 interceptions last year, you can't bank on him doing that again. You can't bank on him being aggressive. Because if you also look at his aggressive throw percentage last year, it was around 16%, which is around the middle of the NFL. It was not a 20, 20 20-something percent aggressiveness percentage for him. Drew Brees was only 3% uh, lower than him. In the 13 area so we've seen him be able to say that's not a wide enough window for me to take that shot so we've seen that type of uh th- that type of decision making from him before which is a good sign it needs to be built upon it needs to be better it needs to be improved but now he has over half a season with Sean Payton Joe Lombardi Pete Carmichael and Drew Brees to help him improve upon that this just gives him an opportunity to show whether or not the improvement is there but you can't bank on the idea that ah oh, let's not worry about it Jameis is going to come in and throw, you know, six interceptions in this game. I mentioned that he's been successful against the Atlanta Falcons. You look at him over his career so far since 2015, he's thrown 25 touchdowns, nine interceptions. I guess so It's a pretty good, uh, it's a pretty yeah, good. He about um, three touchdowns a game yeah. against the Falcons. Yeah. He's only got two, I believe it's two. No, he's only got, uh, it's either one or two. I'm sorry, I can't remember, but he's only got one or two non-multi-touchdown games (laughs) against the Falcons. He's got several of them with three touchdowns. I think it's three with four, three with three, and then the rest with two, and then a couple with one. He has a completion percentage against the Falcons across the average, it's around 70%. He has a passer rating over 100 against this team, and I think there's only been two times where he hasn't had a passer rating over 100 against uh, the Falcons. So this is a team that he is familiar with but this team isn't going to be as as you mentioned familiar with him in a entirely new system and in a sean payton led system at that because you can go back to 2011 and you can look at film at what drew Brees, you know when he would take deep shots all the time but then you're nine years behind and all of the innovation that sean payton's going to add in here in 2020 so i do think that there are some things in terms of like you mentioned tendencies to build tendencies to break that Sean Payton will be able to take advantage of in this game which is going to be really interesting to see how quickly it all pays off and if they're able to execute it that's going to be the biggest thing is can they execute it and can the offensive line create the time that might be necessary for Jameis that isn't necessary for Drew
0: And also, the other thing is, is Jameis is not a runner, but he is a strong young man, uh, a big young man, and if he has to get out of the pocket and take a shot, he can do that. He can extend Mm -hmm. the play if need be, which is something that the Saints, when you have Taysom in, yes, he is also physical, but you are more inclined to believe that he's going to run, but with with. With Jameis, his primary focus is the pass, but if things break down, he can get you 10 yards running down the field, and he can take and give out some punishment too.
1: Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see, especially a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, who's one of the smartest uh, sort of uh, – oh, what's the phrase? Uh, but when the play breaks down and he has to work himself open for uh, – you know to either get downfield or, or, or come and play up closer to the line of scrimmage, he's one of the best receivers – at doing that. And it comes with this veteran savvy, but it'd be interesting to see if instead of him breaking toward the line of scrimmage, like he would with withdrew or toward the sideline, does he turn upfield instead? And then it opens up a big play in a scramble drill. That's what I was looking mm-hmm. for in those scramble drills. Cause you're talking about a pair of safeties in Atlanta that are a little bit more box safety than they are deep safety. Will they take advantage of that in those scramble drill moments? And can Jameis do just like he did last week, if he can get away can he get his eyes downfield and make a throw? But can he make the smart decision to not throw himself out of pressure, which is what he did last week, and he did that very well. to where he just took those two sacks, even though it took them forever to bring the guy down. As you mentioned, he's big and he's strong. But when you look at him, is he going to try to throw his way out of a sack while you know, two defenders have hands on him? Or is he just going to take the sack wisely like he did last week and lift to fight another down? That's another thing to watch with him.
0: What is the biggest challenge then for Jameis himself just – Getting it – I mean, confidence has never been an issue for Jameis. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but in this adjustment – having to take this on with the pressure and you saw the fan reaction to drew and his injury, I think it's, you know, it's a bit much a bit premature that people acting like it's, you know, time to bury it and and be done that it's the last time you're ever going to see him throw the football. That ain't Drew Brees. Anyway, like, no matter what, I just don't believe that he would allow that to be his last game. If he had to drag himself onto the field and fling it underhand to make his last pass in the NFL, he would do that. But it is a, a big thing that uh, in having your teammates and I think Jameis set that in motion this off season of having his teammates believe in him of ingratiating himself yep. as a member of the saints and not just a quarterback, mm-hmm. but to be a guy that they like and that they will follow. Yep. And I think that is a huge thing that, you know, that was big in moving from Teddy, who was also a guy that everybody liked to having Mm -hmm. Jameis in that spot, I think that's, that's a luxury that a lot of teams don't have in their backup quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, the Saints have the best quarterback room situation in the NFL, and they have for the last three years, uh, whether it be Teddy for two and then Jameis for one here. But I I think, you know, in addition to the guys who are already there and and Drew and, and Taysom Hill, of course, but I think that the biggest challenge for Jameis Winston just comes down to being able to manage that pressure because it's not just the pressure of taking over a winning team that was, you know, that was manned by Drew Brees. Obviously, that gives you a lot of pressure. But when it comes to that, this team loves him. And this team is going to rally around him. They're going to support. He has a support system like no other, and certainly not like, certainly like one that he hasn't experienced before because of the tumultuous situation that he was in in Tampa Bay, it sounds like, or situations. But one of the biggest things is just going to be the, the pressure and the expectation that he puts on himself because he said, I'm coming to New Orleans because I want to improve. I'm attending the Harvard School of Quarterbacking because I want to get better. This is my opportunity. I'm taking no paycheck, basically, to come in here and, and try to get better. Now everyone's going to look at these games that he's about to play or this game that he's about to play and make an immediate judgment on whether or not he did get better, which I still think is unfair. Mm-hmm. I think that if he goes out there and has a phenomenal game, there's still more games to see up against unfamiliar opponents. If he goes out there and he struggles in this game, there's still more games to see. I don't think you can make that final decision based upon this game, but a lot of people are going to be willing to jump to that immediately after this game that yes, he's better and he's healed the LASIK worked and you know, everything about this situation has been great for him or all of it for not. It just kind of depends. But I think that that's a part that he's going to have to work through And how does that pressure translate once he hits adversity? Because there will be a point that he hits adversity in this game, whether it be because of an interception, whether it be because of a fumble, a sack, somebody right in his hands, almost throwing an interception. Any number of things can happen. Some adversity will hit him at one point. Can he maintain composure despite the pressure?
0: It'll be interesting to see what type of tempo Sean Payton tries to set for him. Yeah, that's what that is something that I'm really looking forward to is to see Deshaun Payton maybe give him a little more of an accelerated pace because Jameis wants you know get his energy going accelerated. But like you said, give him those scripted throws. Hey, mm-hmm. you know, you can make these, but we're going to move. We're going to get you in and out really quick so that you don't, you know, you get to establish yourself because Jameis is very much a rhythm kind of guy. He really right. you know, needs that. Reaffirm affirmation in his own brain. You, we've seen that since he was in yeah. college. That when he's doing something right, he elevates. Like you just, I mean, like you see his mm-hmm. mood. Everything gets better for him. And I think that that's going to be a big part. The last part that I wanted to talk to you for, I let you go. Is Saints currently with the second seed? And I know folks are worried about the seeding, But when you look at the their main opponents that they're fighting with, Tampa and Green Bay. Tampa over the next three weeks gets the Rams, the Chiefs, and Minnesota. That's not easy. Mm-hmm.
1: And
0: no. then Green Bay has – Minnesota's a better
1: team. Minis- yeah, Minnesota's a better team than people are giving credit for right now, though, too.
0: Yeah, and you take that L.A. – I mean, the Rams are not – that's not a giveaway for True. them. And, uh, right. Again, with Aaron Donald and able, that ability to apply pressure on on Tom Brady. You know, that team last week that scored 40-plus points on Carolina, I'm sorry, that is not – that's not – they aren't 38-3 to 3 bad and they aren't 46-23 to 23 good. You know what I mean? Like neither one of those is the actual Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I don't think that they get that kind of performance back to back against the Rams. They certainly don't get that with Kansas City. Um, And then, you know, to close out with Minnesota, like you said, it was not as bad as they have looked at times. Right. Green Bay, though, like it's it's time to kind of let that go because the North is so bad. And the Bears have mm-hmm. now just completely given it up. Stafford yep. being out for the Lions has ended it for them. The, and we've seen what's happening in Minnesota. Green Bay's got the Colts, the Bears, and the Eagles. They are gonna, they should win all three of those. So really, yes, for the Saints, should. protect the vision. If they win the division, they're still likely to be the two seed in mm-hmm. all of this. Because I think that the, you look at the AFC West, three teams of six and three, they're going to cannibalize each other. Yeah. The rest of the way, and the NFC East is what it is. So if the Saints, right. can – your goal here basically is because you've already lost to Green Bay, get the two. You're still a full game up on Tampa no matter what because you've beaten them twice. Get the two. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with that, and I think that there are some people who talk about no, finish second in the NFC South, but get the number five seed so you could play against the NFC East team. And like, there's some there's some merit in that in terms of yeah, wouldn't that be ideal?
0: But you don't but that's play not that game. Be
1: you can't play that game yeah and so what you do is that you you finish with the best seeding possible the good news with finishing with the number 2 seed is that yeah you might have to play you might have to play against a you know a 6 seed opponent that is better than or you know 7, seven seed opponent Yeah, you probably a get a seattle opponent.
0: it'll probably be either a seattle right. or an, whoever finished second most likely in the AFC West is probably the team yeah. you end up with
1: yeah and so you have a more challenging matchup there than you would if you finish you know, and having to play the NFC, sure, but you might avoid on your way to, you know, you win that game, then you don't immediately have to match up with the number one seed Carolina, excuse me, Green Bay Packers. And then you have, you have a, a home field advantage from that point forward, right? You can still end up with home field advantage. The biggest thing is going to be the bye week right? That's going to be the big part of it and all. And so, you know, we'll see exactly what it is. If you finish with the number two seed, the only time you don't have home field advantage is if you play against the number one seed. So it's not a bad trade-off to have. The only difference is that you don't get the bye. week week, depending upon how quickly Drew Brees comes back and what he looks like when he does come back, which again, I'm still hoping that they take their time with that as much as possible, then you don't necessarily need it as much that bye week going into the playoffs.
0: No. And, and I think when you play that dangerous game of trying to play for matchups in football, we've seen the Saints do this right. before. We've seen teams... You know that shouldn't win playoff games. Win playoff games because they were taken too lightly. And it and, and this is football. It's not a basketball series where you get seven. It's not baseball where you get five or seven. It's one game and and playing for matchups to me makes it 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 doesn't make
1: sense in the NFL. It just no, doesn't and, work that way. Right. And you can win that one game all you want. You still have to win the next one and then the next one. Like it doesn't end with just getting a a positive matchup. Against an NFC East team for the wild card round, you still have to continue to to win after that.
0: Yeah, and and that's going to be the thing is, no matter what, once you get to the second round, you've either played all of those teams because most likely the Saints will have played every team that mm-hmm. in this in that, and that when they get to the group of four if they get past that first round. So what what's the issue then? You know what I mean? Like you're not there's nothing new at that point. So why not get the best record possible? That that's my thing is if, if it 's there, mm-hmm. go for it as long as you 're not you know again right. putting yourself in jeopardy if you 're not throwing things unnecessarily at the pursuit of something, but if it 's there, yeah right. get the best position you possibly can yep um how do you feel how do you feel going into this 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 sunday um certainly uh, you know obviously the it 's not going to be a game where um, you 'd expect either team to blow the other out just because it 's Saints Falcons. Um, but are the Saints still the favorite at home to you um, in this position, or are they are they an underdog?
1: Yeah, I think they're still favored in this one. Both both in the eyes of Vegas, but both you know in the eyes of you know NFL and analysts and media. I think that this is still a positive matchup for them. It's still a, they've proven so far this season that they have the advantage over familiar opponents. So you expect that to be the same case with the uh, with, with the Falcons. The Falcons are coming off of a bye week, so that could mean one of two things. The difference here is that you have Raheem Morris at head coach as opposed to Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn not as successful off of bye weeks, but Raheem Morris an unknown off of bye weeks. So there is something to be said in that. And so you know we'll see exactly what it is that they're able to do. But I think that the Saints team, if they can score 24, 27 points in this game, then they can distance themselves enough that the defense can hold up and, and be able to help secure a win. It's going to be if they win this game, winning this game means that all three phases worked, much like the week one game against Bay Buccaneers. That's what you would need to see from them in this one. But I think that so far what we've seen over the last few weeks, with the exception of the fumbles in the punt return game, uh, you know, but you clean that up. And then you, you see this team be a team that can win at all three phases. And again, they don't have to go out there and take 17 shots with Jameis Winston. You can have two or three big shots that can be a big difference for you and set up momentum. But the main thing is capitalizing, getting into the red zone and capitalizing on those, those, those short field situations. That's going to be another one to where I'm going to really be watching Jameis too, is how he operates in the red zone. You'll notice that last week, a couple of places where he stalled and had some troubles – was in the red zone because I don't know how much he got to run scripted mm. red zone plays in practice. I don't know how much he got to do that. And he may have, but I'm not entirely sure that that's the case because Drew Brees is going to run those red zone scripts. Drew Brees boy. takes all the snaps. Yeah, I mean, right. Drew and, Brees you will know. take the snaps. Right, and so I, I, I'll be interested to see if his play improves in the red zone because historically he's been extremely good in the red zone, very effective in the red zone. But this is an, a, a team that operates very different. They attack the pylons in the red zone in the passing game as opposed to the back of the end zone, which is what Jameis is accustomed to. Do they continue to do that? Or is that an adjustment that they make for Jameis to try to keep him more comfortable? We'll see. Yeah,
0: it'll be interesting how Mike Thomas gets used in the red zone. That is that, Because it's been yeah. so much Alvin... And we've seen a lot of Emmanuel Sanders too. Um, while Drew is working, yeah. you know, underneath, it'll be interesting to see what Jameis thinks of and what they can do with those two in the red zone, just to create another option. Because um, you don't really see Mike Thomas as a fade in the back of the end zone guy, a jump ball guy. They haven't. Yes, that's never really been what they've had to use him for in the red zone, but there may be things again, those wrinkles that Sean Payton adds, those very subtle wrinkles. And I think that's what it'll be. It won't be something that blows you away visually, but it'll be something, it'll be those one or two, three different looks that Payton does just for Jameis in this game. And it'll be interesting when he pulls those out situationally. Yep. So um, it's going to be a, a long wait until Sunday. Um, but i 'm certainly excited about it and i 'm certainly excited to see what this team does because again, the defense is the story right now, and I think that was it was the story right. going into this season, and it 's still the story now. if they play at this rate the rest of the season, the Saints are as and out as
1: there is in the NFL yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This is a team that i, I don 't want to say they 'll live and die by their defense. But the tone that they've set for themselves, this defense, makes this team the absolute best that it can be and puts it in the best scenario, best-case scenario as they continue to move forward. If they continue to perform at this level, this this creates what would be the best Saints team for the season. Right? I'm not saying of all time or anything, but no, no. it puts them in their best look that they could possibly have moving forward this season, with the exception now being without Drew Brees, of course. But, but yeah, I think that this is... This is a defense that has set a tone for themselves and created an identity for themselves and, and living up to it is going to be a huge, huge benefit to them.
0: Thank you again for hanging with me, man, do, changing your schedule and, and doing this for me. Cause again, this is it's something I look forward to. And I think we do nah. the, the fans love it. And, and I love giving it to them.
1: Yeah, man. No, absolutely. It's such a pleasure, as always, to be able to be here and to be able to do this with you. And it always means the world. I know you say that you wish you had more energy, but I thought you brought the energy. (laughs) I really, I enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed it, as always.
0: Uh, Tell the folks, like, you just had a great interview today uh, with the Saints legend, and you got some other stuff coming up. So tell them about it.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. I'm really excited. Uh, Of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, NOLA, N-O-L-A. Catch the podcast every day, every Monday through Friday, Locked on Saints. On Friday's episode, I got Saints legend Deuce McAllister came through. Shout out to Crown Royal for hooking that up. Uh, Talked a little bit about what we should expect to see. I, I, I thought, you know, look, Deuce was a part of this offense at a time to where the deep ball was very much a part of the game plan. I asked him specifically what concepts he could see coming back to this offense over the course of the next few games with Jameis and he was able to lay that out and talk very specifically about certain times when you might see attacks and what those attacks might look like. So really fun stuff looking at there. Talk about the offensive line, talking about the running backs, hit a little bit of defense as well and help preview this Falcon game, uh, Falcons game coming up this weekend. So a lot of good stuff on that. That's going to be on Friday. Tomorrow's episode with Aaron Freeman, host of the Locked on Falcons podcast, our crossover previewing, mm-hmm. uh, previewing the game. So um, all of that all of that over at locked on saints. Uh, and I got some extra stuff coming up over at canal street chronicles this week as well. Uh, my five questions ahead of the game, which a lot of them we talked about um, on the show here. And then uh, I got a, a film study coming up for Quan Alexander and his first game and everything as well. So a lot of good stuff coming up. You can check it out over canal street chronicles.com. And again, as always, you can find all this stuff just by following me on Twitter at Ross Jackson and
0: He's one of the best. Um, and and I don't just say that because he's my friend. I say it just because, <laughs> look, if you pay attention, look, the dude is everywhere and he... The thing, Ross, the thing I wanna tell you that I appreciate the most, dude, is that no matter who you're collaborating with, and you collaborate with so many people on a weekly basis, and that's what this business is so much about. There's always a space that you um, allow others to do their thing. Oh, but yeah. you, oh, but there's, but you oh, make like you make me better, and I notice that when I watch you with other folks too, is that you elevate the level of the discourse, and that's something that we try to challenge each other with, and I just appreciate that so much out of you, man, and it's just it's one of the reasons why I make sure that that I do and, and support you and the guys like Nick Underhill and, and Nader and Brian and, and and there's so many and Deuce and those folks out there who right. do it like that is there are a lot of great people who do the work, but there are a few of us and, and you're one of those people, man, who just you elevate the level and you make it digestible, entertaining and all of those things. And, and it's just phenomenal work.
1: dude. I appreciate that, man. That means the world. And you know that I feel the exact same way about you. It's why I'm blessed and highly favored to be able to part of the, be a part of the dome patrol with you every Wednesday, man. And so uh, I, I appreciate that so much. That means the absolute world to me. And uh, you know, Let's just keep doing it, man. Let's just keep doing it together and for everybody else too. Like this is my my entire, I was thinking about this the other day, like, and, and we've talked about it before. Like the last thing that I'll ever care about is being right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Being right before somebody else is right. I care about being right, but only because of the fact that I strive to create a more educated audience. You know what I mean? and a more engaged audience and give people information. Like that's what I care about being right about You're the exact same way. That's one of the reasons why I love collaborating with you so much, because it's not about, you know, ego. It's not about anything like that. It's just a hundred percent about, first of all, talking about what we love to talk about and doing what we love to do, but then also giving something to the people that take the time to listen, take the time to support, take the time to show love. And obviously I thank you for that. And I thank everybody for taking the time to listen so that we can continue to bring that to you because it, it, means the world to be able to do this and to be able to do specifically this with you
0: and we'll be back at it again next wednesday hopefully after another saints win and a a good performance uh to talk about so until then for ross jackson i am david grubb we are the dome patrol here on harden the paint and uh we'll talk to you soon thank you for listening